Hey, hey, everyone. This is the Charisma Quotient. I'm your host, Kim Seltzer, a dating and makeover expert, where I will help you build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. All right, step outside yourself for a moment. And I want you to imagine you are a friend who has set someone up on a blind date with your quote unquote friend, which is actually you. How would you describe yourself? I mean, how well do you know yourself? What makes you tick? What is your purpose? And how true to yourself are you being when you put yourself out there into the dating universe? Here's the thing, knowing your why is a really important step in figuring out how to achieve your goals that includes dating goals that excite you and create a life you enjoy and live and attract someone great in your life, which is different than just surviving or being someone you're not just to please others. Only when you know your why will you find the courage to take the risks needed to get ahead, stay motivated even when life gets challenging or burned out like you do on online dating, how so many of you do. In fact, when you know your power of purpose, it allows you to tap into reserves of energy determination, courage, you may not even know you have. And here's the thing, at the congruence of who you really are, and I'm talking about like the authentic you, and what you portray is essential in attracting a healthy partnership. There's a woman I recently began working with who is starting to become aware of how important her why really is in relation to her love life. And her her background is fascinating. She grew up in a very religious household and community where her purpose was dictated for her. What she was supposed to believe, what she was supposed to act like, down to even how much she was supposed to express and say to others. And one thing that was a really big no-no was to express herself verbally and creatively. Like there were kind of some rules in, in ways that she was supposed to express herself. And she really did feel stifled in so many ways. And she carried this guilt around even as we were talking. She's like, Kim, I really feel guilty for wanting something else and living my purpose for something that's more than what she already knew. But she is slowly, slowly starting to feel that, you know, she just started um, working on expressing herself and tapping into the creative side to her. I'm like giving her permission to take creative classes like dance lessons, improv, and exploring, you know, just even different towns so that she could see the outside world. She's been kind of in a bubble. And with that, she's starting to discover herself. She's talking to strangers on dating apps, which she never thought in a million years she would do that. And she's doing it without guilt. And she's starting to find her purpose. And she is feeling so free and empowered. That energy is giving her courage to find something different outside of what she's been told to be and to become. I'm really excited to bring back a special guest who has been a friend and quite honestly a mentor and helping me even tap into my passion as a speaker. And he is so determined to help others find their why. 
You might have heard him here on the Christmas Quotient before. He's a multiple-time TEDx Mo Mondays and PMX speaker. He's also the host of the top-rated Conversations with Passion radio show, founder of the speaking program Blue Talks, which I was so honored to be a part of, and he has been featured in multiple television specials, a columnist with Entrepreneur and Forbes magazine. He has been featured in and on CBS, CTV, NBC, ABC, is a Forbes coach, council member, and is one of the few leaders featured twice on the popular Entrepreneur on Fire show. He's also interviewed over 5,000 of the world's top leaders, and he has awesome stories around that. I'm sure he'll talk about it. One of his most recent talks took him to New York City, where he had an extreme pleasure of speaking at at-risk youth in the Brooklyn Navy Yard Boys and Girls Club. Welcome, Corey Poirier. Hi. Hello, Kim. It's exciting to be here and visit you again. And now you've been featured twice on the Charisma Quotient, too. You can put that in your bio. I love it. <laughs> I can now. I know. I so love that you're like back on the show. I know because last time when we did our podcast, we were talking about getting over shyness. And it was really powerful. And today we're talking more about purpose. But what I find interesting is that both themes really relate to, you know, how you can come into who you are with power and passion, which is so important in attracting love. So I would love to, you know, I know you have kind of your own personal journey with that, but like, how did you find your why? Like, how did you get into this part? So great question. Obviously, this for me, Kim, is really front of mind. Um, mm-hmm. As you know, I, I just, I'm just in the process of launching my new book about this whole topic. So obviously, I'm really in this headspace right now. So it's perfect timing. And so for me, finding my why was a journey that wasn't as simple as a step or two. So mm-hmm. what I mean by that is that I actually found my passion first. And then I found my purpose, and I'm, I'm more than happy to dive into the difference of these two, but I found my passion first, which led me to my purpose, and I believe the two of those together became my why. So, oh. and, I, and I can give you a quick summary or a quick uh, definition. The difference to me is passion is what you do, so the physical, here's what I'm doing, so stand-up comedy, speaking, playing guitar, playing it live, that's the what, that's the passion. Purpose is why you're doing it. Why are you actually doing this thing? And that could be to inspire other people, to impact lives. And for me, um, I, st- I discovered it on a stand-up stage. That's where it all started. But it led to me finding my bigger purpose, which then, of course, helped me determine what a why really is and what my why was. That's really I, – yeah, I like how you distinguish – between passion and purpose, because I mean, people throw those two words out together all the time, but you're right. Like when you really think about it, you have to know why you're doing something. Like you can just kind of be going through the motions. Like the woman that I was talking about um, in the beginning, she was just kind of going through the motions and she was told that was her passion, but she didn't really even know why. I think once you know the why also, it becomes more authentic, don't you think? 100%. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like, do you have any tips for finding, you know, your passion, your purpose, your why? Like, you know, what would you say to somebody who doesn't even know where to start with that? Yeah. So this, so I'm glad you asked that. And um, I'm not, and you know, this for me, knowing me, Kim, I'm not that person that says it's in my book. (laughs) I I can't, (laughs) I, I can't even tell you. I've seen a few interviews with people like where they say any question they get asked, say it's in my book. 
Um, you know, you have to read it to find out. I would never be that guy. Uh, what I will say, I'll say it's in the book, but I'm going to tell you what's in the oh book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, Thank you. so I, I just, I just wanted to clarify that because it is in the yeah. book. And, yeah. people learn it. and in fact, the first act or section of the book is actually called why it is dedicated to this whole thing. So I'm going to give you the, hmm. I'll call it the reader's digest version. Okay. And so the reader's digest version, and this is what I was talking about, about I found my why before finding my purpose or correct, correct that. Sorry. I found my passion before I found my purpose. And so the passion part was what I alluded to with stand-up comedy. So hmm. here's the short version. And then I'm going to tell you if I reverse engineered it, here's what I tell other people to do now. So for me, I discovered it with a happy accident, but what I wanted to know is what were the hints along the way and how could I have sped that up? Because the numbers I hear, the numbers I heard, which is dismal, I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but the numbers I hear is that only 5% of people will discover their purpose in their lifetime. And mm -hmm. I don't know if it's that low, but I know that obviously the vast majority of people won't find their purpose or calling. And I think that's sad. And so if I could help wow. one more person in my life, that's worth it. And, and as a side tangent or note, uh, Robin Sharma, when we had him on the show, the author of The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, he said that most people die at 20, but they wait until they're 80 to bury their own bodies. <laughs> he calls oh, them dead. And the reason I bring that up is because I think what he's saying is these are the people that are walking around purposeless. And that's not a you know, judgment mm -hmm. on anybody. It's just they've never been shown a way to find it or realize even why they should bother. So going back to me, uh, basically what happened was I had a stage play in a fringe fest terrified of being on a stage, which is kind of ironic, uh, but I was terrified of being on a stage. And so uh, I actually had to write myself apart in the play because one of the actors got injured and it forced me to get on a stage. Terrified, covered in sweat, uh, asked one of the actors at the end of the seven days of the play, hey, any ideas for how I can get over this? And he said, I don't know if this will help, but I'm do I heard about the stand-up comedy workshop I'm going to at the university. Do you want to go? And so I said, yeah, sure, that sounds terrifying. And so I went to the workshop uh, two weeks of learning how to adjust the mic stand, pretty much all we learned. Week number three, we were told we were going to a comedy club to watch people entertain us. And we found out five minutes of showtime, we were in fact the entertainers. Mm. So, <laughs> so having said that, we were tricked to be on a stage, but here's the thing. Eight people walked out the front door, literally walked in. Seven stayed. I was one of those seven. Jumped on a stage, bombed horribly, uh, told the first two jokes about the mic turned on, only discovered that the mic wasn't turned on. Oh my God. Um, Were there like crickets in the audience? <laughs> yeah, there was, there was yeah. crickets and silence. And by the way, is it, you know, people always say, oh, I couldn't imagine being heckled. I got to clarify right now. Worse than heckling is dead silence. So, oh my God. I so agree. I so well, agree. You can do something with it. Even if you're a yes. speaker, as you know, if somebody's like, I don't agree with that. You can talk to that person. You can interact. But dead silence. It's like, I always say that a hundred, uh, yeah. yeah Five seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds of silence is like 150 to 170 years of real time. That's what it feels like when you're up there with your ear in the headlight eyes. And so, yeah, there was, there was silence. Unfortunately, there was no heckling. I would have probably stumbled through, but I would have got through better if it was heckling. So I'm on the stage. We tell these two jokes. Finally, the guy that got us into this mess calls me over and gives me one of those schmucks in the back of the head. And he says, you idiot, we haven't turned the mic on yet. And so, you know, because I jumped on the stage and started jumping in the material. But basically, the takeaway is I bombed horribly, but I went back the next week and the week after and the week after. And people were at work were saying, did you meet someone? Because you just seem to have an extra jump in your step. And so to tell you the truth, Kim, that was a hint because here I am going and performing five minutes, bombing horribly, and yet I'm coming to work with a brightened attitude and a bigger smile on my face. 
And I'll go one step further for somebody who says, why should I bother finding my why? Bigger than all of what I just said, at the time, I was in the middle of a battle with hypochondria and generalized anxiety that combined mm. with stretching four years. Within about a month, maybe two months, of performing stand-up, and again, I was bombing horribly, only getting five minutes of stage time, paying gas to get there and not getting paid, and all of a sudden, the anxiety and hypochondria disappeared. That was how powerful it was. Yeah. Okay. So you know what I'm thinking this whole time as you're talking, all the people that I've been talking to, actually lately, I just got off the phone with somebody about it, of the rejection they're feeling with dating, you know, or, you know, they're, they're on Bumble and they keep getting, you know, these horrible conversations. And like my client this morning, she wanted to give up and she's like, this is awful. Like, I hate this. I want to give up. I want to just like sit in front of the TV with, you know, a, whole thing of ice cream and, <laughs> and say, this is not my purpose. You know, this is not what I, I, you know, did this for, but what I love what you're saying. And, and I want to know even just maybe some hacks and tricks that you do in your mind and that really not to look at it as rejection, like in your case, especially, oh my God, being heckled and all that kind of thing. But it's really about experience. And the more you do something and you gain that experience, the more confident you become. And you really can kind of come into your why and your purpose with it because then you start knowing what works, what doesn't, what you like, what you don't like, that kind of thing. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, I I would love to say the what I didn't like was bombing on stages. Yeah. But what I went back, I said I went back week after week. I ended up ultimately over over the let's say the length of my stand-up comedy quote unquote career, I probably performed, what did we figure out? I think it was seven hundred shows over nine years. So this wasn't like something that I went for a month or two and then tapped out. But here's the here's the bigger clinch. So what happened was that was sort of my passion, but my bigger passion, and again, your passion is a what, so it can change at any given time. My bigger passion was clearly speaking on stages. And stand-up was simply the hint. And so that, so mm -hmm. I, I actually made the transition into speaking quickly, like within a year, maybe less. And I was doing both at the same time for those next, whatever it was, eight years before I went full-time as a speaker. So, I mean, I'll just add that when it comes to finding my passion, that was sort of, that was the, the what tricked me and was the comedy. But I really feel my bigger passion is speaking. And, you know, not to, to jump the gun because, you know, if you want to dive in further to what we were just talking about, I'm happy to. Um, or I can tell you a little bit about how that turned into the purpose side of things. So I'll let you dictate. Yeah, no, because that, that's exactly I find so interesting. And I'm even thinking or reflecting on myself, you know, things that maybe I hated in the past or things that I found really challenging that turns into actually a gift you know, in disguise or something that I do become passionate about. I mean, even like what I do for a living, to be honest, you know, I never in a million years thought that I would be teaching people like women go out and flirt for God's sakes. <laughs> like, you know, cause I was scared to death of flirting, you know, before all of this. And when I first got divorced, I mean, I thought men were aliens. I couldn't even look at them. And here, here I am bebopping in life, like flirting left and right and helping others do it. So, um, um, I think actually sometimes the pain can become our purpose is what I'm hearing or passion even. Yeah. Well, to that note, so I, I say the answer is yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. And I'll even add in, well, so what my last TEDx talk is basically about what would you say to your younger self? So that poses the question, what would you tell your younger self if you could sit across from them? And interestingly enough, one of the common themes 
is they would tell them the thing that you're stressing out about right now won't matter even in one year, you know, let alone 10 years. But the key takeaway from that is also that, I mean, the other side to it is also that a lot of times that thing you're stressing out about now, that mm-hmm. thing that happened that you felt was the biggest disaster ever will often be the catalyst for your biggest success ever. So to your point, sometimes like me getting on a stand-up stage and bombing horribly was actually necessary for me to be the person I am today. So I agree. It's, it's 100%. Yes. But it's hard for us to see that when we're in the bubble. We just think it's the worst disaster ever. But I can tell you 5,000 times plus now asking that question that in almost every case, people have said the stuff they were stressed out about 10 years ago does not matter today and didn't even matter a year later. And it's almost like funny when you look back, like, I can't believe I felt that way. You know, there was a woman I was working with and she hated the online dating thing. And she, she's like, oh my God, there's so many creeps out there and I hate them. And now that she's gotten so good at it and now she has a different mental state about it, that she almost welcomes it. She's like, Kim, I think it's funny when the creepers come in. I love playing with them. So, (laughs) you know, you, not only can you, you know, turn the, the pain into purpose and passion, but you can also, you know, change your mindset with it into something that's more positive. And I think that's the key, you know, cause you could, you could go down one path and it could be a really dark road, but instead pivot to make it a positive. And that's what I want to ask you. So how, how can someone maybe, you know, they are going down you know, a painful road. And because the show, a lot of people are single, obviously. How, how did you change your mindset into something that was a, I mean, seemingly painful experience into something that was a passion and purpose in a positive way? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's a key part of it. Mindset. In fact, I just mm-hmm. posted a question on Facebook a couple of days ago that I said in 5,000 plus interviews, one thing has glaringly come out that has been responsible for more success, fulfillment, abundance, happiness, et cetera, et cetera. And it was, I said, it's one word. And it was interesting to get all the responses, but mindset was the one word. And so I'll tell you on one hand, the comedy thing, it took, it took a while. I mean, I don't know how I didn't give up. I don't know how I got the stage in, on, up on the stage in the first place, but I can tell you from a mindset point of view, two things came into my mind as far as what kept me going, not necessarily what turned it into something, mm-hmm. but one of them was, I had, uh, I always visioned those guys, guys and girls sitting around a bar when they're 70, you know? And so in this case, I pictured them watching stand-up comedy going, I was going to do that one time. Oh, that's good. And I also knew that the people I interviewed that they, the one thing they wish they could do over, or the one thing they didn't want to live with was regrets. So they actually, most people, um, the thing they didn't do, they actually stress about that more than the thing they did and failed at. So I knew that from already from early amount of interviews, that regret was a bigger deal than failure. And so that mm. was re- rolling around in my head. And then I guess the other thing that kept me going is I read a, or, or an interview with Jerry Seinfeld. And you know, this is a guy that's, for lack of a better term, crushed it on stages all over the world. And I remember reading the interview and him saying that it took him two years to get 15 minutes of material that worked that got laughs. And I thought, well, crap, if, you know, I'm complaining because I'm three months in and all I've done is like perform five minute sets. So I'm not even getting that much experience. If three months, um, I'm even getting one laugh. I feel like I'm already on track to be, mm. you know, where Jerry Seinfeld was the person that's considered a master at this game. 
And and the book I was reading was called Comedy Insights, I believe. And it was just a common theme. Like Ellen DeGeneres said the same thing. And then on top of that, I had a friend named Tracy McDonald who was a Star Search winner. I think she's the only female comic to ever win Star Search. And at the time, that meant she was the funniest woman in the world. And it took her five years to get her first headline spot at the comedy club. So those things, in terms of, if you ask me, mindset, what allowed me to get through it, it was actually Mm -hmm. just being able to have a point of reference that made it make sense. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of my mindset that sort of pushed me through, it's that, I know this is where it gets interesting. It's because without me knowing it at the time, it wasn't just a passion. I was actually starting to serve my purpose. I didn't know what my purpose was. But because of that, because I was starting to serve it, I was getting the rewards of that and making that impact. And the feedback and the impact and the stuff that I was seeing happen was what allowed my mind to keep pushing me through as well. So, you know, go mm. do those, those speak at an event where they promise you there's going to be a hundred and there's two, you know, and like, and so yeah. how do you deal with that? Well, for me, it was a matter of knowing there's a bigger purpose here. And not only that, I'll tell you a big one for me was the mindset of understanding if I only impact one life. In fact, if there's only two in the audience, your odds of impacting one get up really high because you have personal tension with that. And it's intimate. So um, I, I know that if I impact one person every day, I'm further ahead than I ever would have been early in life, you know, if I stayed on track where I was going. So I think it's just, it was a mindset of understanding some of these reference points that allowed me to make it through. Yeah. And even just like that powerful visualization that you can do, you know, just like how you said, just envisioning people in the room, like, and, and whatever that is, or like before you go on a date, visualizing, you know, you just crushing it on the date, you know, like whatever it is that can get you into that. That's, that's really cool. Well, and you have, you've interviewed so many people and, and actually really fascinating and powerful people. Are there any um, other, I mean, you started talking about Seinfeld and Ellen, but are there common themes you've discovered that successful people who know that they have their purpose have? Uh, so I, I guess it's kind of funny you say it that way because so when people ask me what the number one common trait is, yeah. high, highly influential people, the interesting part is the number one trait is they live on purpose. So it's kind of a, a enigma. Oh, them. yeah. No, but I, I yeah, I, I'm more interested in, like, if, if you know somebody who knows their purpose, I mean, there could be successful people, but they maybe they don't know their purpose. I've seen that happen too, you know, like where people are just kind of puppets or, you know, they're put in a certain light because that's what was kind of given to them, but maybe that's not really their passion or purpose. So yeah, I just wondered if there's like almost personality traits or things that you noticed. Yeah. And there, and there certainly are. Um, And that's, you know, when I wanted to figure those out, that's when I started doing kind of my own mini study or research. And that's where I found Mm -hmm. out that purpose was the first one that they found it. They discovered their purpose, but Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, traits that also, allow them to jump ahead of other people. Yeah. I would say the two that come to mind. So these, and these are actually number two and number three, if I go in order, but um, the second one, so the second most common after finding their purpose is that they are lifelong learners. And so what I mean by this is that they continue to feed their mind long after their formal education is done. And that's, that's a paraphrase Zig Ziglar quote. Uh, but basically he said, you can finish your school and education um, and it could be easy, but you'll never finish your learning and it'll mm. seldom be easy. And so to me, I've noticed that, for example, I'll give you an example, Jack Canfield, chicken soup for the soul. Uh, I, I was told a story, Jack told me a bit of it and then somebody else picked it up cause they were at the event he was referring to. Mm-hmm. But essentially 
he was at a Tony Robbins event back in the room at the time. I think he was 69 or 70 and he's filling a notebook of notes. And there was this person that told me the story because I brought it up that Jack had just said it. And they said, I was actually there. And then they told me the story and they said, and they were at the back of the room uh, sitting near Jack. And they said, Jack was taking notes like crazy at 69 or 70. And let's face it, Jack could have just went backstage and talked to Tony, their friends. I mean, it's, you know, he didn't have to sit in the room, but he's sitting in the room taking those notes. And there was a 19 year old at the next table looking over at Jack, shaking his head, going, look at that old guy. And the person who told me the story said, the irony is Jack doesn't probably need those notes anymore. And that 19 year old needs them more than Jack ever will. And yet the 19 year old mm. doesn't see the value, but the 69 or 70 year old thought leader gets it. And so that's what I've noticed is that the high achievers understand the importance of continuous lifelong self-education and learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, you talk a lot on the dating side, Kim. I think this is actually, this is my own opinion, what we're talking about here, like finding your purpose, uh, being a lifelong learner. I think that makes people more attractive on the dating side as well. Oh yeah. No, a hundred percent. And really knowing yourself along with that, you know, and because you know, people, and here's the thing that I see all the time show up in a very, um, an authentic way. I, I know a lot of women who are kind of caregivers who just focus so much on the other person, but they're not like, they're not showing up with them, you know, like they're not offering and contributing to the conversation on what they bring to the table and who they are and what their passion and purpose is actually that. And that's, what's so interesting about those words. And I think it's really powerful in the dating world is, is that it's not bragging. You know, I think that's a lot of women think that, Oh, I don't want to brag or, you know, be boastful. That's not what we're talking about. It's really showing up and knowing who you are and what you're here for and what you're set out to do. And when you are like that and you know that it is much easier to attract a healthy partnership, you know, cause when you, you're not clear who you are, then you're not going to be, you know, attracting a healthy relationship either. So it really does go hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. I agree completely. And I'll have to say number three yeah. is, is a trait that maybe I'm dating. I, I'm going to let you be the judge of this one. It could be attractive or it might be unattractive, but I'll let you decide. <laughs> uh, but the third thing I've noticed that they do really well is the high achievers say no on average. And I'm just going to throw this number out there. I mean, I, d- I haven't done any scientific on this. I'm just going by what it feels like based on my numbers. Yeah. But on average, no, probably five to 10, somewhere in the five to 10 times more than the average person. So mm. what do I mean by that is they say no to um, all the things that could distract them from whatever they're aligned to do so they can say yes to the few things that will move the needle for them. And so I don't know if that's an attractive trait because, you know, saying no might seem like a strong-willed thing and, and stubborn or what have you, but I've just discovered that the high achievers, they would never be able to get what they need to get done if they said yes to everything because the demands for their time are way higher and bigger than most. Oh my God, no, it 100% relates to it because I talked to you know, my clients all the time about setting boundaries. Are you kidding me? Like that's, I think something that a lot of people struggle with, like, you know, going out on a date when they don't really want to, or going to a a restaurant that they don't want to, or that's not congruent with them and not like expressing their needs or wants and all of that. Cause when you're when you're a confident person and you know, your passion and purpose, you will just kind of say what you want. And that is attractive. You know, somebody who's comfortable in their skin and knows what they want. That's, that's super, I think, attractive. So yeah, that's interesting. Really interesting. Um, well, 
I, I think this is a, such an important topic and one that I actually have never really even thought about in relation to dating. And so I, I think your book is so fantastic. And will you talk a little bit more on how people can find it and any like last parting words of wisdom? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to, Kim. And, you know, as I mentioned, as far as the book itself, uh, it does cover, it goes into a lot more depth in terms of just exercises around finding your why. Uh-huh. And so if people are looking for that, it definitely does have that. But I will say it's also very unique in that it's three sections. So I call them acts. So it's like a three act play, if you will. But it's in three separate acts. And they're all, they operate separate from each other or together. So you can read the whole book straight front to back. But you could also go into like part two, if you feel that's more appropriate to you, or you've already read oh. part one and you're, and say you've already had to read the whole book and you want to go back again. It actually stands, each chapter stands on their own. In fact, there's a couple of stories that are powerful stories. They're told in different ways, but they're told in a couple of chapters because, or a couple of sections and a couple of chapters because I felt they served it enough, especially if somebody's only reading that section. So the book was written in a cool. very unique way. On yeah. top of that, there's quotes in the back. So there's 400 insights uh, by people we've interviewed. You know, so almost 10% of the people we interviewed, there's quotes by them in the back of the book. I think that makes it different. I can't think of any other book I've read where there's 400, that many quotes in the back of the book that people, and each one of those quotes, my ideal situation was one quote you read could change your life. And so I tried to add that in to add even more value into the book. And then the last thing I'll say about the book itself for somebody that's saying, why this book? is I'm, big, I'm a big fan of Think and Grow Rich and How to Win Friends. Those two books were the first two books I ever read, changed my life. But I think what I like most about them is the writing style that those authors wrote in, in the 30s and 50s and what have you. So here's what I did in writing this book, is I would go back and each time I was getting set to write, I would actually read a chapter from either of those two books so that I would get into the mindset of what it was like to write of, in that era and of that era. So mm. the thing that's different about this book is when you're reading it, it actually reads like a book from the 50s or the 30s, which I think makes it unique on its own as well. And so oh, that's cool. every part of the, this book is, is really intentional, if you will. And so, and, and it was done with the idea that I could basically, this is going to sound terrible, but at the same time, you'll understand what I mean, is that if I were to pass away the day after the book came out, I would know that this book could be my legacy. Like this book could be complete. I could feel comfortable mm-hmm. that this book has what it took me all these years to learn in the book. And so I've really put that much into the book, uh, which obviously makes it, uh, that gives, uh, makes it a little bit tougher on the next book. There's a lot to follow up to, but that's, you know, that's kind of the book in a nutshell. If you're looking to find out, find your why it's in there. If you're looking to find more abundance, I share that in there. If you're looking Mm -hmm. to find more success, fulfillment, happiness, and basically who isn't looking to find all those things. I was going to say, I, you took the words right out. (laughs) I was like, who wouldn't want all those things? Go on. Yeah. And so that's all in the book. Mm-hmm. And not to interject, I think you may have been going to say something. So I'll just say, did you want no, me to say how people can find the book? Yeah, or where yeah you, to you know, the drill. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I was going to ask you. Okay. Uh, no, that sounds perfect. Uh, so the book, in fact, um, is releasing. It's pretty cool. It depends when a person listens. Of course, they could be listening in 10 years time. So mm-hmm. in that case, the book has already been released. Uh, but we're really dropping near this episode when, when this episode is airing. So uh, that's pretty cool. So March 17th is the official launch date uh, when the book is at a pre-order and, get, and getting shipped to people. And where people can find it, I think the easiest way is to go to thebookofwhy.com. So again, thebookofwhy.com. And on that page, you'll find various different places retailers you can order from. So that, that way, if 
you prefer Amazon, you can order from them. If you order, uh, prefer Barnes and Nobles, Books a Million, whatever you prefer, you can jump on that page and order it right there. That's awesome. Corey, thanks so much for just, you know, really sharing your, your wealth of knowledge. And this is just the tip of the iceberg because you, you guys have to get his book. You really, I think your life experiences and all the people that you've interviewed and everything is just so powerful. So thank you. Thank you, Kim. It honestly is an absolute pleasure. I know I've had you on my show, I believe twice, but maybe once, but I think twice. Uh, I've been on your show twice. We've I had a chance to uh, mingle at the New Media Summit. I've had you on our Blue Talk stage. So I've known you a long time. And I have to say also thank you for all the work you're doing to help so many people, whether it's find their love interest or find a bigger purpose even in their life or just the transformations that you help make possible. So I don't know how often people tell you, but thank you for what you're doing as well. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> thanks, Corey. And of course, thanks for joining me today. And it's been the Charisma Quotient. I'm your host, Kim Seltzer. Remember, you can build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. Make sure you go to my website, as always, seltzerstyle.com. And if you are struggling to find your purpose or not happy with where you're at, especially in your love life, I'd love to help you clear the cobwebs and find that purpose so you can attract someone awesome in your life. Click the link you see here in the show description for a free breakthrough call, and I would love to help you. Stay tuned until next week with more tips on how to feel and look fabulous every day. <laughs>